invite you to join me in John chapter 4. Be reading verses 1 through 26. Recently, I was um, listening to some Indelible Grace music. Uh, Indelible Grace is the RUF band at, uh, at Belmont College, at Belmont University in Nashville. And Kevin Twitt leads that group. He's the RUF pastor there. And, and Kevin was explaining some of the songs that they sing. One of the things that he said as he spoke of one of the songs is that he's talking about the reason why, uh, why they like to sing these rich old hymns. Because the lyrics to these hymns have a way of making Jesus more beautiful and more believable. He talked about that. It just resonated with me and made me thankful for what we sing and how what we sing makes Jesus more beautiful and believable in our eyes. So we come to John chapter 4 and in this, this text, the word of God makes Jesus more, more beautiful and more believable in our eyes and our hearts. We're going to get to know Jesus more as we see him interact with the woman at the well. It's a conversation that we're going to explore over two weeks. It'll be a two-part sermon, a two-part conversation. We'll see this week, part one, an intentional conversation. And next week, we'll see part two, a fruitful conversation. Before we turn to this word, would you bow with me? Father, you have given us this word to point us to Jesus. Jesus is beautiful. Jesus is believable because he is truth incarnate. We pray as we approach this text that we would see him as he has revealed himself to us. May this be so in Christ's name. Brothers and sisters, this is the inerrant and infallible word of God. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? 
He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and it is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is the word of the Lord. You have no doubt had some of those conversations, although to call them conversations might be stretching it a bit, because for it to actually be a conversation, there's got to be a back and forth, a give and take. Some of us have been in those conversations where rather than back and forth, give and take, it has felt a lot more like a talking to. <laughs> the person that we've tried to engage with has been more interested in in, in telling us something, either about themselves or about their own agenda, and spent no time wanting to engage within us. And so in those conversations, what do you do? You, you check your watch, <laughs> wondering how long we're going to have to endure this. It can seem never-ending, exhausting. On the other hand, different kinds of conversations, a back and forth, a give and take, a, a discussion with someone who is interested and interesting, someone who wants to know you, and someone who is willing to be known themselves. These types of conversations are life-giving. <laughs> they do not drain they encourage, and so time seems to stand still. We linger. We enjoy. The conversation we have here before us in John chapter 4 is a life-giving conversation. It's a life-giving conversation that though it deals with a difficult matter, it, it is in, entered into by one who cares by one who is compassionate, by one who, who wants to know and is willing to draw out. 
see here in John chapter 4, Jesus, the consummate conversation. And I'd like for us to walk through this conversation. There's, there's a lot of rabbit trails that we could go down, and we're not going to, uh, we're not going to follow them all. We're going to follow actually a very few of them. As we approach this conversation, it's going to feel a little bit more like the way you might recount a conversation you have with one of your friends. It'll be the highlight reel. And we open in, in verse 1. We see that Jesus is he's on the move. He's going uh, from Judea up to Galilee, but the interesting thing we see here in verse 1 is why. Did you catch it? Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was making and baptizing more disciples than John. You hear what's going on there? The Pharisees begin keeping score. And Jesus will have none of it. Because gospel ministry is not a competition. And maybe to teach the Pharisees a lesson, maybe to, to show compassion on John the Baptist, maybe because he has an appointment waiting on him. He leaves. He leaves for Galilee. But his route is interesting. The text tells us that, that he had to pass through Samaria. Had to. The text is telling us something important there. You see, we might look on our phone to find directions to get to a certain location, and it will give us the, the shortest distance, the least mileage. This was the least mileage, but it was not the route that most self-respecting Jews would take. You see, Judea was in the south, Galilee in the north, and between them was Samaria, the land of the mixed-breed Samaritans. They were the distant cousins. The northern kingdom that intermarried with the Assyrians and combined their religion with the Assyrians most self-respecting Jews would, would take the long route east of the Jordan River up around Samaria, but not Jesus. He had an appointment to keep. When we read that, that he had to pass through Samaria, we need to understand that it's speaking to, to a divine intention. And so Jesus lands in Sychar, a small little village with a well. And there, at that well, he did the unthinkable. He talked to a woman. <laughs> Not just any woman. This woman. Jesus was tired. He was weary, and he sat there by the well, and he asked her for a drink. But understand, there is much more going on here than a request for a drink of water. You see, Jesus didn't talk to Samaritans. And men, they didn't talk to women, at least in public, and they certainly didn't talk to this kind of woman. And so when Jesus asked her for a drink of water, she was taken aback. She couldn't understand why he would be talking to her. So understand this, when, when Jesus spoke to her and asked her simply for a drink of water. He was bestowing on her a teaching of dignity that she was sadly unaccustomed to. She was taken aback. She questioned him why he would talk to her and, 
then he takes the conversation a bit deeper, as Jesus would often do. He, he takes a tangible thing like water, and, and he takes it deeper to a spiritual matter. He speaks of, of living water. She's still not tracking. She's still not tracking. She just looks at him and asking him, how are you going to do that? There's a bit of snarkiness, maybe a little bit of sarcasm here. Who do you think you are? This is Jacob's well. You greater than than our father Jacob? How do you think you're going to get me here? Jesus is, is not deterred. He takes the conversation yet again a step deeper. And he moves on from the discussion about living water to eternal water. Verse 15, the woman is still, again, on the surface. She's still sticking with what is tangible, what can be seen, but her answer opens the door just a crack, just a hair. She lets in that there's something deeper going on in her heart. She hasn't shared with Jesus yet her past, but Jesus knows she doesn't want to come back to this well at this time. Did you wonder why the woman is there by herself with Jesus? There's a little detail in the text. It tells us that it is the sixth hour. The sixth hour, that's noon. That's the heat of the day. You see, all the, all the other uh, polite ladies, the, the society ladies, that, they'd already been to the water. They came in the cool of the day. But this woman, she'd received their glances. She'd heard their whispers. She knew what they were thinking, what they were saying, and she wanted no more of it. She came when there was no threat of encountering another one of those ladies. She came when she could be all alone. See, this lady had she had a past, and everybody in town knew it. She walked around with shame. Can you relate? Can you relate to the shame that would, that would cause us to isolate ourselves from the crowd? You see, that's what shame does. Shame is the emotion that we feel. It's the feeling we feel as a result of our guilt. Guilt is a legal issue. We are guilty because of our sin. Shame is what we feel. It causes us to isolate. It causes us to hide. Shame crushes relationships. She came by herself, but Jesus had to pass through. Jesus had to pass through because he is the only hope. He's the only hope for those who are struggling and suffering with shame. We all know what it's like. Maybe it's something in our past. It's the secrets of our past or the struggles of our present. But Jesus is, was the woman's hope and Jesus is our hope. He is the reason that she came because Jesus is the one who covers shame. Before he covers, he has to uncover. 
verses 16 through 18, Jesus does just that. He said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. You hear this and wonder, Jesus, are you being rude? It makes our... The the hair on her neck bristle. We we can't imagine Jesus entering in like that. But see this grace. Jesus is is taking her there to deal with this past because he knows that before her shame can be covered, it must be uncovered. She must confront the truth of her past and her present. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, in the very beginning, on the heels of their sin, they went into hiding. They went into hiding and and they covered themselves with fig leaves. God came asking, where are you? Why are you wearing that outfit? We do the same. We put on different shapes and sizes of fig leaves to keep the questioners at bay, to put a mask on and to pose. Jesus came to draw out, to draw us out of our hiding. He did it with the woman, and it felt a little too close for comfort. Again, she redirects, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. And in order to to steer away from her heart and to keep it on the surface, what does she do? Sir, I perceive you're a a prophet. What denomination are you? (laughs) Where do you worship? Let's keep it on something level that we can disagree about. Because if we can disagree about something, you're not probing into my heart. There's much more than a surface issue with this discussion of worship location because the Samaritans, not only did they intermarry with the Assyrians, as we said, they, they, they bought into their worship practices. And so rather than, than worshiping in Jerusalem, they worshiped with their own version of the word and their own version of the temple on Mount Gerizim. But Jesus... He doesn't take the bait. He doesn't argue. He'd have won. But he doesn't get sidetracked. He doesn't take this into a theological debate where it's us versus them. No, he says, dear lady, the time is coming and is in fact now here. We're true worshipers. Worship from the heart. We're true, we're true worshipers. We worship with spirit and in truth. Spirit speaks to the heart, and that worship is centered on and rooted in the truth of God's word. The woman hears all of this, and as if to say, well, we'll agree to disagree, she says, when the Messiah comes, he'll answer this for us. At that point, Jesus is finally ready to reveal himself. I who speak to you am he. What a revelation. The 
conversation that Jesus would, would patiently, lovingly, tenderly walk through. And he would give her time and space to wrestle through what is going on in her heart. He would take her attempts to take it back to the surface and, and gently redirect going deeper to explore and to draw out. That's what Jesus does. It's what he did for the woman at the well, and it's what he does with us. You see, Jesus knows. He didn't just know her story. He knows ours. He knows our deepest, darkest secrets. He knows those secrets that we are praying that no one will find out. He knows our struggles in the present. He knows our questions. He knows our doubts, our fears. He even knows the disagreements we have, not just with each other, but the disagreements that we even have with him. And yet he came. He had to. He had to pass through Samaria, and he passes through our lives to draw us out, to draw us in to relationship. Don't you see that in this text we see that Jesus, he is the Savior who comes so that we can be known by him. He is the Savior who calls us into saving belief and he is the Savior who models this type, the patient, loving conversation for us. Why do we struggle to have that kind of conversation with him or with each other? Well, many of us, we just don't know how. Some of us have, have grown up in, in, in home environments where when, when things got hard, when things got uncomfortable, we lifted up the rug and we threw it under. Some of us have grown up in, in homes or families where we didn't even know what hard was depth of our conversation centered around that third down call in the second quarter. We stay at that level, dealing with these kind of surface level details. Some of us struggle to enter in to the lives of others or to be known with others because we don't know how. And yet there are others of us who are afraid. We're afraid. We've gotten very good at wearing that fig leaf. We can change it out depending on the present company. And we were terrified that if anyone knew us, there's no way they could love us. And so our coping mechanism with fear is to keep everyone at a polite distance. We might have some sense of how, but we will never go there because fear grips us. And so for those who don't know, for those who are afraid, Jesus enters in. The Savior who knows. He's the Savior who has come. He's come to engage us. So what do we do with this kind of Savior? What do we do with this kind of Jesus? Where is this text taking us practically well if there could be a practical application from this 
uh, message from this text is this. Have an intentional conversation with Jesus. So we ask, what does it look like to have an intentional conversation with Jesus? We just saw a picture of a woman standing beside a well, conversing, talking out loud. We can't do that. can, but we can still converse with Jesus, and it begins by quieting the distractions. You know the distractions. You know the voices you hear. Sometimes they are physical distractions. Sometimes they are the, uh, the overly busy schedule. Sometimes they are um, the the ballpark, sometimes they are the TV screen blaring in our ears. Sometimes they are those, but often those physical distractions are really indicators of the spiritual distra- distractions, the shame, the fear. It's too easy to say we simply quiet those distractions. We confess them is a more appropriate way describe it. Jesus knows. And so we bring them before him. We're honest and vulnerable for the Savior. This type of intentional conversation begins and ends with authenticity. And authenticity begins with honesty. Speak to the Lord in an intentional way. Again, we don't sit and have this back and forth audible verbal conversation. And so we have this intentional conversation through an interactive experience with the word. When you read the word, read it interactively. Maybe it's just me. But oftentimes I can catch myself trying to have a quiet time thinking, okay, I'm supposed to read this chapter and so I get through it. But the whole exercise is a check-the-box exercise to read the contents of the page. On the other hand, to read interactively is to slow down, is to linger over the Word, is to ask, what is the Lord showing me in this text? Allow the Word of God to have access to your heart. That's what it means to have an intentional conversation with Jesus, but it's not merely reading the word interactively, it's praying interactively. When you pray, what's your language like? When you speak with your family, what does your language sound like? Do you script out your conversations with your family? Is your language flowery? Is your tone of your voice a bit more stayed in reverence? No. Michael and I were talking about it this week, and he said that when he prays, he has to ask himself sometimes, would I talk to my wife this way? Have a conversation with the Lord Jesus in prayer that is authentic, that is real. Share your heart with Jesus and listen. How do we listen? We listen to those little nudges. Where is he leading us as we read the word? Where is he leading us as we sense 
his direction? Where is he leading us in the midst of conviction? That is how we have an intentional conversation with Jesus. That's part of what we do as we look to this text. But there is another part. You see, when we see Jesus interacting with the woman at the well, conversing with her, he's modeling something for us. He's modeling for us how to have an intentional conversation with another person. This conversation that Jesus has with the woman at the well, it is evangelism. So many of us have grown up with a view of evangelism that here, I need to give you a tract, and you need to be quiet, shut up, and listen to me. And when I'm through with my spiel, I'll ask you if you agree with what I've just said. And while there's certainly a place for that type of proclamational evangelism, Jesus is modeling for us conversational evangelism in which he leads by listening. He listens intently to her heart. He knows her. And as he knows her, he's able to apply the word. Anger in conversation. Be quick. Listen. And in your conversation with others, let the Spirit of God take you to Jesus. That's what we do with this text. We be patient. That's how relationships develop. And with that, I'll flash up on the screen three words. To be continued. Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) How's that feel? We kind of live in a time when we can binge watch whatever TV show we want. We don't have, we have to wait 10 seconds to find out what comes next. That's all it takes. And we've lost the ability, either through TV or in our interaction with one another, to linger. To let the relationship and the conversation play out. When I was a kid, there were three channels. (laughs) And TV shows came on once a week. And occasionally, the writer of the show would have the great idea to make it a two-part series. The worst thing that could happen is to be at the end of that show to see to be continued because I'd have to wait an entire week to see what would happen. So you're going to have to wait an entire week to see what is going to happen with this woman. So in a sense, that's part of the point. That's part of the point that we need to learn to be patient with our relationships be patient for the Spirit of God to work not only in our hearts, but to work in the hearts of others. This didn't get resolved here at the end of verse 26. Actually, the disciples came and the woman left. Jesus didn't know what was going to happen. He had to wait. We'll wait. But for now, let me make one final point to wrap up this sermon. I don't know if you noticed, but this is not the first conversation we've come to in John's gospel account. John didn't give us the chapter breaks. They came much later. 
But the woman at the well, we read at the beginning of chapter 4. At the beginning of chapter 3, we saw another conversation with a very different person. That conversation was with Nicodemus. Nicodemus, the woman at the well, could not be more different. Yet Jesus was equally comfortable in conversation with her. Nicodemus, he had the credentials. Nicodemus was, was welcomed into polite company, usually at the head of the table. He had been to the right schools. He had the right breeding. He had the right manners. He knew the Jewish law and Jewish tradition, and he obeyed them. He was the one that you wanted to be seen with out in the community. The woman at the well, she lived a shady life. She had a secretive past and she was shunned by those around her. She didn't know or obey the Jewish tradition. Everything that Nicodemus was, she was the opposite. And yet Jesus came for both of them. And that's the point. These two people, Nicodemus and the woman at the well, they were very different, but both shared something in common. They needed the Messiah, and He came to them and spoke with them, listened to them in the way that they needed. Look who you relate to now. Nicodemus, look at the woman at the well. Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Jesus had to pass through Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Because Jesus came for Nicodemus. He came for the woman. And he came for the well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this.